this morning sort of dropped into my heart about two weeks ago and I, it sort of was out of context. I had no, I wasn't reading about the devil, I wasn't thinking about the devil and I really just felt the Lord give me this particular message about how to stand against the devil. But then I thought to myself, you know, in the 80s when I first became a Christian, we used to hear about the demonic all the time. I don't know if who's, who's old enough to remember a lot of those old time sermons, right? about demons and angels and Satan and the blood of Jesus. And, you know, we used to hear about it, but it just struck me when I got this sort of message dropped in my, into my heart. Actually, we don't, we don't talk about the devil that much. So you're going to hear him about it this morning. Um, but a particular focus I want to bring is, is actually how do we fight when the devil comes to us? And that's really what I want to talk about this morning. What, what is it when the Bible uses the word fight about Satan... What do Christians do? What are we supposed to do? And so you'll hear a little bit about my theology around this and it might be a little bit uh, different than common theology. We'll see how we go. Don't stone me at the end. Um, We'll see how we go. I'm I'm on my own. My wife's actually in Adelaide at a family function. Her uncle's turning 80, so she sends her love but is not here, unfortunately. One of the things that uh, worries me about Western Christianity is we're, we're not animistic. Over the years, if you don't sort of know my story, but over the years I've done quite a bit of mission work and travelled to various countries. Um, you know, like there's a few, few other people in our congregation who currently are doing that with their parachurch ministries. But also I know there's other people in our congregation who have done it previously in the life of this church. When you go to other cultures, they have a, a real awareness of the spiritual realm. And yet in the West, it seems like this idea of um, liberal theology, so where we can't prove what we can't test. So this Western idea with things have to be proven through empirical research and testing. And so if we can't prove or test that the devil is real, that God is real, that angels are real, that demons are real, if we can't empirically prove it, like in a scientific type way, then how can it be true? And that seems to permeate part of our form of Christianity. Whereas in other cultures, they have an incredible awareness, like a real openness to what, you know, animism is basically the concept that the world is influenced by spirits. And so Christians are animists. (laughs) We, We probably don't use that word about ourselves very often, but we believe that God, who is spirit, created all things... So both all angels, all demons, the devil himself, this universe, you and me, so we're animists. And that the, the influence on our lives is not a material, just a material physical influence, but in fact God, through Jesus Christ, has actually influenced our behaviour, our thinking, our attitudes, the way we treat one another, who we worship, what we give our time and devotion to and attention to. Christians are supposed to be animists, but in the West, Christianity sort of shrunk back. And, you know, if you want to talk to me later, there, there was a lot of theologians in the mid-20th um, century, uh, particularly um, in Europe, that, that basically started putting out commentaries that a lot of preachers were using to minister that debunked this idea of the miraculous and the spiritual. And so there are some, this sort of permeated through Christianity in the last probably 80, 60 years or so, where some forms of Christianity say, well, the devil can't be real. 
Miracles don't really happen. Jesus didn't walk on water. That, was, that, that couldn't have happened. So the, you know, the, the apostle who wrote that story is telling us something about his view of Jesus. It wasn't a literal event. That, that's really what they say. So one of the guys, you might have heard of a guy called Rudolf Boltmann who is, is very popular in probably conservative Western Christianity in Europe and uh, he's now deceased, but he wrote quite a bit. He had this phrase he used to say, how can we believe in miracles when you can turn on an electric light? That was one of his phrases. Now, it concerns me that we're influenced by that. You may have not have heard of him or heard of that statement, but our form of Christianity, I think, underestimates the spiritual realm. And you know, part of the challenge, you know, I was listening to Eugene Peterson actually um, yesterday as I was driving up to King Lake, and he was saying that part of the challenge we face is we can't see God with our physical eyes and we don't hear God with our physical ears. We are actually practising a faith, which by the way is spiritual, it's animistic. We're practising a faith, but the challenge is we don't see or hear God in a physical form, physically speaking. And so we have to remind ourselves, or, or let me ask you a question, how do we remind ourselves that the devil is real? Well, it's very interesting. Do you know how many times the Bible talks about the devil? In the Old Testament, he's mentioned at least 20 times. In the New Testament, he's mentioned at least 136 times. So if you think that it's a bit weird to hear about the devil in church, you just need to read your Bible a little bit more because he gets mentioned quite a bit. In fact, Jesus not only, of course, had that temptation experience in the wilderness with Satan, but Jesus talked about the devil. Um, and the latter New Testament writings talk a lot about the devil. So I'm going to draw on a couple of, of some of their, their verses today. Now, one aspect about Satan is this. He's given a variety of titles or names. And effectively throughout Scripture, they're definitions of his role. Now, just stick with me here. This is, we're going to go deep this morning. I'm sorry. I know it's daylight savings. and I thought about that, school holidays, daylight savings, you know, grand final. But anyway, I'm going for it anyway. Now, listen. So here's the thing. Now, I forgot what I was going to say. It'll come back to me in a minute. Hang on, let me check what I was going to say. Oh, that's right. So he's given titles, names. And that's because, now, get your head around this. God created Satan. God knew that Satan would rebel. So he, he's a fallen angel. So he's an angelic being. He's not walking around with a tail with red skin carrying a pitchfork. He is an angel of light. Fallen one, but he was created as an angel of light. In other words, he rebelled. He wanted to ascend to the throne of God and that got him expelled from the, the, basically the heavenly realms as we understand it where God is. And so you can read about that in Isaiah. And again, if you, you can always Google it. There's a lot of good stuff out there. I'm not going to unpack that. But Satan actually has a role to play in the universe that God preordained. Just like you and I have a role to play in the world that God preordained. So nothing that Satan does surprises God. In fact, the definitions that he's given in Scripture or the titles... So the one I'm going to sort of land on today, because there are quite a few of them, but one in particular is this definition where he's called the accuser. In fact, that's the, most, that's the earliest reference to Satan in Scripture. Now, you, our, our, our Western Bibles are not in the order in which the books were written. 
They're in, generally speaking, they're in chronological order of the events on which they write about. But they weren't, so Genesis was not the first book of the Bible to be written. Job was actually the first book of the Bible to be written. And he gets a mention there as, you know, when all the angelic beings, if you read Job chapter 1, come around the throne room of God, it says the accuser was there. Now, in modern translations, they use the word devil or Satan. But when it was written, there was very limited theology in Job's time around who the devil was and what role he had. And it's what we call progressive revelation. Over time, God revealed more and more about his whole plan, and that included um, what the devil's role is. But he, this is the one thing that I think happens for most of us who are disciples or followers of Jesus. One of the things the devil does... He comes and accuses us. He's an accuser. Now, I don't know about you, I hate accusations. The thing about accusations is sometimes they're false. So have you ever been accused of something you didn't do? So, you know, when you're a kid or, you know, I used to get, I don't know, got a complex, but I used to get picked on all the time, get accused of things at home when I was a little boy that I didn't do. I did a whole lot of other stuff I got accused of as well. And that, that's the thing, you can get accused of things you did do, so the accusation is correct. But you can get accused of things that you never did and the accusation shouldn't stand. And I think what happens is one of the functions that the enemy has, Satan, the devil, he's an accuser, and the Bible actually has quite a bit to say about what we're supposed to do when he comes and accuses us. Now, he has other titles and definitions, but I'm just going to focus on that one. So he's going to... The accusation is to find fault. That's really what that biblical word to accuse, which is where we get the word Satan from. It's actually a very hard word to translate because there's no word in modern language that quite encapsulates or fully understands what that word means. But the most sort of closest phrase is accuser. And so that's the title that he's often given, particularly in early Christian writings. He's the one that opposes God by accusing God's people. That's part of his function. So, why is this important? It's important because the Bible tells us, greater is he that lives in us, that's the Spirit of God, that's Jesus, than he that is ruling the world or in the world, which is the devil. So, I'm going to give you three things I think we should do as believers when we feel accused. I, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes, sometimes I do the wrong thing and I know I've done the wrong thing, and I feel that condemnation and that guilt. And, I, and sometimes the devil happily reminds us of what wrong things we've done, whether it was recently like yesterday or whether it was 30 years ago. It's quite common, I think, in our, our human experience to encounter the devil as an accuser to bring accusation when we have done the wrong thing. And he's very good and crafty at reminding us over and over again of the same things. But then there's other things he comes to accuse me of that I've never done. And so what do we do in both those scenarios? That's what I really want to talk about. So here's, here's number one. I think the key is our position, not our strength. It's our position, it's not human strength. So go to the next slide. Thanks, Jonathan. Here's a key verse, one of my favourite verses. When we often think about why Jesus came to earth... We think of things like, you know, he came to save us, he came to heal the sick, he came to drive out demons, he came to preach the gospel. All those things are true. But it's interesting what John says in his first epistle. 
He said the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So sickness, sin, disease, the way the world is, is in operation, you know, the whole, the whole thing's in decay. Hebrew talks about that, Romans talks about the whole universe is in decay because of the corruptedness of sin. That's the work of the devil. And the reason that Jesus came to earth was to actually destroy. That word there literally means to unglue, fall apart, come to zero. So listen, stay with me for a second. What Jesus did by shedding his blood on the cross and rising again to prove that he was victorious over the devil was destroyed his works, his outcomes, his plan, his, his supposed idea of what would happen on this planet, Jesus is total victor. And our position is, when we, when we face the devil or the devil comes against us, our position is in Christ. It has nothing to do with our human ability. A human cannot take on an angelic being of any description. But when you put in Jesus Christ, when you confess your sins and take Jesus as your Lord, Master, and you're in subjection to that King, Jesus, when the devil looks at you, he sees Jesus. We've got to remember that. I think we're, just, we're a bit thick. McFly. It's got nothing to do with my ability or inability when the devil accuses me. I have no ability to overcome him. But I'm in the person that did overcome him. That's the point. I'm in Christ. So I don't need the ability. I have submitted myself to the one who not a little bit overcame him, but totally defeated him. Now the devil still roams around. I'll show you that scripture in a minute, and that's why I picked that, vi- that particular image, because Peter talks about the devil roams around like a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. But the key word is like, because he's defeated. So he still exists, and we know through you know, the revelation of scripture that eventually he will be judged and dealt with in a final form and placed into hell where he will never escape. But we live in what's called the in-between, in between the cross and in between the final judgment. And so he's, he's defeated, it's a bit like guerrilla warfare, but he's still out there trying to cause trouble, even though he has no authority to do so. And so it's our position. So go to the next slide. This is, this is one of the greatest scriptures, really, where Paul, speaking to this little home church in Colossians, he says... For when you died, your life is now hidden in Christ with God. So that's our position. It's positional. Authority is positional. It's not human strength, ability, knowledge, understanding. It's none of that stuff. It's authority comes from the position that you and I sit in. Should get a bit excited about that, by the way. I don't need to beat the devil. He's been beaten. I mean, it's, 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 it's as black and white as that. So whatever accusations he brings against me, I know he has no authority to bring them. Yeah. Even if those accusations are correct. 
Because if I deal with my fallenness, my stupidity, my sinfulness, my bad choices, if I deal with them in the manner in which God has asked me to, to confess my sins, to treat each other in the way that I should be treated, to love one another, to forgive, to sacrifice for each other, if I live in kingdom, in God's kingdom way, then his accusations have no basis. They can't stand up legally before a holy God because I'm in Christ. That's the point. So, number one, our position in Christ is not, it's not any ability or strength that we think we should or shouldn't have. There's not, there's, there's, he's totally defeated. I mean, that's, we talk about Jesus being the victor. I don't think we quite comprehend the spiritual side. You know, we celebrate the blood of Jesus for washing away our sin, but he did more than that through his blood by defeating every spiritual power. That was against the kingdom of God. So here's the second thing. Go to the next one, thanks. Jonathan's my incredible slide operator down there. Our authority comes from authenticity. Now, this is very, very important. You can't fool the devil. He's probably a bit more intelligent than we give him credit for. If you just mess around with Christianity so you're not really in Christ, you come in and out when it's convenient. So when you, you know, when you feel like you need a bit of loving and a bit of forgiveness because you realise you're a bit of a bad person, you'll come back to church every now and then, you'll say the odd prayer. That's not authentic Christianity. You're either in the kingdom or you're not. You can't walk in and out. This is not an open door policy in God's kingdom. You can choose to exclude yourself by doing different things and we know that through many other epistles. So for example in Corinth where they excommunicate someone who's sleeping with someone that he shouldn't be, Paul says, kick him out. Because by definition, he's excluded himself. Now, here's the issue. There's some respect that we have to understand with the power that the devil has. And if you don't have an authentic, genuine relationship with your Lord and Saviour, then watch out. Because he can devour people who are not really in God's kingdom you can't you know you can't have the authority without authenticity now there's a great New Testament story if we had time we'd unpack it but you know in, in the book of Acts there's a high priest called Sceva and what was very common in, in that particular again very animistic culture is if you had the power to actually ward off evil spirits or to cast out evil spirits you not only became pretty no, you know, notable and famous within your own village and surrounding area, you could make quite a bit of money. You could charge people to get rid of evil spirits out of their um, you know, relatives, homes, all that sort of stuff. Now, that still happens in most cultures today. Again, the West is probably a bit more reserved about that. And so this high priest has seven boys. These seven boys, they, it's interesting the way Luke records the story. He says, the Lord was doing unusual miracles through Paul. This is how the story starts. That Paul could even send, you know, his handkerchief or a bit of cloth to someone and if that person touched it, they'd get healed. Now that's the introduction. So these are unusual miracles. So they don't always happen. Then, the, then it goes straight into these seven boys. These seven boys who practice exorcism, you know. So they'd heard about this name Jesus that seemed to be effective in physically healing demonic deliverance from people, all this sort of stuff, they wanted in. 
They thought they could make a bit of cash and become a bit more famous. Now, what's interesting in the story, if you read it, I'll give you the uh, actual reference here. It's Acts 19. So what happens in the story is they confront this person who has a demon in them and they try to cast this thing out of this guy by using the name of Jesus. And what's interesting is what the, what the demon says back to them. Simple little phrase. The demon says, oh, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? See, authenticity. They didn't have it. Now, here's what I'm trying to get at. The name of Jesus is not a lucky charm. It's not a rabbit's foot. It's not a horseshoe. It's not an incantation. If you don't know the name you're using to stand against the devil's works, the devil knows that. Because you're not authentic. (laughs) You're not genuine. You're not in Christ. You come in and out. So you've got to have, if you really want to stand firm against the works of the enemy, which is what we're commanded to do in Scripture, you have to be authentic in your Christianity. You have to lay your life down and follow obediently the teachings and the lifestyle that Jesus asked us to do. You do that you have the same authority that Jesus has. You don't do that, watch out. Because the devil is seeking people to devour. So you've got to be authentic and genuine in your Christianity. So number one, it's your position in Christ, not your strength. Number two, our authority comes from being authentic. And here's the, here's the third and final thing I want to say about probably where I really want to land, is we're armoured to stand firm. So we're not, when, the whole sort of message that fell into my heart a couple of weeks ago, I, I love the book of Ephesians. It's one of my favourite New Testament writings. It's just the, the spirit of, in which Paul deals with this small church meeting in someone's home and particularly writing to the one man, so the father, the husband, the slave owner. It's the same person where the church is meeting in his house. He's not the church leader, but they're using his house to meet there. And what's interesting in, in, in the last part of the book, in his final sort of wrap-up, really, he talks them how to treat one another, you know, how to submit to each other, um, husbands love your wives, children obey your parents. You know, he teaches all this stuff. And then in the, in the summing up, as he finishes his letter, he writes this thing about the armour of God. And I'm sure you've heard a lot of teachings on the armour of God. And what's, what you need to visualise is when Paul's penning this letter, he's incarcerated in a Roman prison. And so I can imagine him actually writing this and he's actually guarded by Roman soldiers. So there's this great idea, this great illustration about armoury of Romans and this imagery of actually we should pick up our own armour and put it on. Now you've heard that bit, but I don't know if you've heard the next bit. The main Paul Paul he makes there is not actually listing all the armour. Now, he does list a number of items, so salvation, peace, you know, truth, righteousness. Most of you will know that. If you've been a Christian a little time, you would have heard about it, probably studied it. But the point he actually makes is this. You stand firm. That's what the armour gets you to do. So go to the next slide. Thank you. I'll just skip that, that verse. Is that oh, that's the Ephesian ones? Yeah. So you stand firm. That's what the armour does. Now, if you've got your Bibles or your smart device, 
or dumb device. Just turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to show you. that It's not hidden. This is not some special revelation that Greg got in the middle of the night because of daylight savings. This is actually in the text. I'll show you the point Paul's trying to make, but we miss it because often what happens when you read the Bible is you look for the thing that you've already been told to look for and you miss what's obvious. That's one of the challenges we all have with reading. So listen to this. I'm going to start at... uh, Verse, I better put on my glass, I'm getting old, so I don't know what verse I'm starting at until I put these on, there we go, verse 10, Ephesians 6, so just, I just want you to follow it, and every time we get to the word stand, just highlight it, so he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power, so that's your position again, by the way, don't be, there's nothing to do with your strength, be strong in the Lord and his power, put on the full armour of God, why, so that you can take your, what? Stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Paul was animistic. Verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand. That's the second time he's mentioned the same word. Stand your ground, and after you've done everything to... That's the third time. Verse 14, stand firm then. Stand. So here's here's what I'm trying to teach you. When the devil accuses you, our role is to stand firm. So here's the thing. We have the victory through Jesus. Jesus has the total, complete victory. There is no tug of war going on in heavenly realms. If you think that... Get that out of your head. That is, that is so far from the truth. So the devil and Jesus don't have a rope and a pulling to see who's got the, you know, the biggest strength to pull the other one across the line and win the game. That is not what is happening in spiritual realms. The devil is active, absolutely, until the final judgment. But he has no authority. And how we come against the devil is by standing firm. We don't have to fight him in the traditional sense. It's not our fight. (laughs) We couldn't have beat him anyway. But Jesus totally destroyed and undid all his works. He's still trying to get his works off the ground, but it's not going to be successful. So our role is to stand firm. Now, here's, here's, let me finish, if I have the band up, just as I bring this to a close. Here's one of the things we've got to understand. When, it's, when he says, you know, you stand firm or stand your ground, so in Ephesians it says your ground, when we read that in English, we think of us personally. So stand my ground. Greg, the Lord's telling you to stand your ground. But that's not, what it, that's not how it's written. Because nearly nearly every time you read a command in the New Testament where it says you do this, so, you know, forgive one another as, as Christ has forgiven you or stand your ground, it's a collective you. It's a collective your. It is not an individual Western concept, I have to do this on my own. In fact, I would argue you can't stand your ground against the devil in isolation. 
It's formation that makes the difference. So I'm going to do something really bizarre. I'm going to get you all stand up. I'm a strange sort of guy, if you don't know me well. Got a weird sense of humour. I'm going to get you all to come right to the front and stand shoulder to shoulder. Come on, everybody. Just so you can get the feel of it. It's a collective noun. You stand your ground, not individually, but collectively, together. We are standing our ground together. All of you. In fact, um, I heard one, uh, one American Bible teacher uh, from the Midwest in the States, he did a great teaching on this whole you and your, and it's not individual. So push right in. You can go right to the wings. I want everybody, you can push that front row back if you need to. But what this American Bible teacher explained to me is, you know that sort of Midwest twang where they go, y'all? How y'all doing? Y'all? That's actually more accurate to what Paul's teaching here about how we stand against the devil's schemes. We all do it together in formation. Now again, Paul's in prison when he's writing this and you know his imagery of Roman soldiers is Roman soldiers didn't run off on their own and try and fight somebody. They stood like this shoulder to shoulder and they used their shields. In fact, you know, I don't know whether it was exactly in New Testament times, but around then they developed a shield that would lock and actually they became like a turtle almost, you know. So there'd be a row of shields here, a row of shields over the head. That's the imagery that Paul is using here when he says, well, stand firm. In other words, don't give the devil an inch. He doesn't deserve it. He doesn't have the authority for it. And we're not fighting him in the sense we have to take him on. We just simply say to him, I'm not moving. I'm in Christ. And together, we're staying here. That's, that's exactly is what he's teaching this church at Ephesus to understand. That's what the armour does. It enables us to collectively form like a formation like this. I mean, just look around. I mean, how do I, how do I get to the middle? You know, if I want to get into the middle to someone, I have to get through everybody. But if collectively we stand together, the devil doesn't get a millimetre. And it's not that, you know, we don't celebrate it in the sense that we did it. Jesus did it. But it's formation. And here's, here's the thing I want to challenge you with as I finish, finish this morning. Are we really in formation? Or are we in isolation? You know, when, when the devil accuses us of stuff, we should be learning together, worshipping together, praying together, enforcing the victory that Jesus has delivered into our hands. You don't fear the devil. We just stand together against his schemes because God has positioned us in his victory. That's the theology of how we deal with the devil. We just stand our ground. He doesn't deserve it. He's not getting it. That's the point. But you can't do it in isolation. Formation is the key. You can't protect your own head or your own back. If you're a real soldier, no Roman soldier could protect every part of themselves unless they stayed in formation. And that's the thing. That's why we come to church. That's why we, that's, you know, that's why you got up losing an hour's sleep or unlike Nathan, he never slept at all tonight. He's jet lagged from Egypt. But collectively, you know, what we, you know, you think we just, you know, oh, we're doing this, doing another song, or I have to go to church, or a small group, or, you know, I've got to, I should, probably should read my Bible. Hey, 
You can't be a Christian in isolation. It's just so foreign from Scripture. And if you try it, you're vulnerable. (laughs) That's the point. So just close your eyes for a moment. I just I really felt this morning that there's some people you, you feel like the devil's been, really been on your case. You know, he's been accusing. You felt the accusations come into your heart, into your mind, into your spirit. And I, I think this, this message, this truth, it's not my words. It's just the truth of God's revelation that he has positioned you to stand firm. He has armoured you along with everybody else you're shoulder to shoulder with in this room right now to resist his schemes. And I'm just praying right now for breakthrough. Just, just raise your hands. Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, you've delivered the victory that we had no strength to, to render ourselves. But in total domination, you have overruled the authority of the enemy and all of his schemes, both in our lives, in this world. And Father God, we recognise that you are the victor. You are the line of the tribe of Judah. And so, Father, together we celebrate your incredible protection over our lives, your incredible spirit that guides us and leads us, helps us to understand the truth of your word. And so, Father God, we just give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Now, I know that's a strange way to finish the service, standing there like that. It feels different, doesn't it, when you're in a collective? We are a collective. That's how we fight the devil. I'm going to close the service right there. May the Lord bless you. Hope you have a great day. Come back next week and stand together against the devil's schemes. Amen. God bless you.